I'm Dana Lloyd. Welcome to Soul Sister Conversations, the podcast, where you will be inspired and empowered to connect more deeply with your authentic self as we explore topics of personal development, leadership, and spirituality. Your journey to your most authentic self starts right now. Today, I speak with artist Sasha French, known as Bird Girl Arts. I found her on Instagram where she was sharing some really great life philosophies born out of being an artist, one of which was always be nosy. I love that she allowed me to be nosy in this episode. The philosophies we discuss are something we can all relate to. We talk also about her journey of chasing her dreams, the importance of exposing children to art, and why art should be accessible to all, and she shares how she makes that happen. Welcome, Sasha French, to Soul Sister Conversations. Thank you so much for having me, Dana. I love chatting with artists because people like you, I find, have a unique perspective on life, and you have some really great ideas about life and philosophies that we'll get into shortly that we chatted about in our our pre-conversation. But first, you are otherwise known as Bird Girl Arts. I know that's your handle on Instagram if people want to follow you there. What is Bird Girl Arts? Why Bird Girl? What What is it that you do? Uh, well, that's a very like personal inside purse part of who I am, um, which is great. I have an art practice that involves my whole family. My daughters are really young and they're always with me when I'm making art, which I think is great because it pulls me, like forces me to, to act like they act. Um, it keeps me fast and light and loose. Um, and the work that they make alongside of me really inspires the work that I make. Uh, so I feel like it's a very collaborative process with them. My husband is also a huge supporter of my career in that he's a great partner and um, helps share in the childcare responsibilities so that he can go to work and I can go to work and we can still do the whole family life thing. Mm, um, yeah, and, which is a nice balance. Yeah. And I was at, uh, I feel like I've had all these little sections of life in different art careers. And when I started really painting seriously, I had this catch. I had this like hang up about, oh, I'm not allowed maybe to be a painter. I'm not allowed Mm -hmm. to explore visual art because I've already, I've already branded myself as a pianist and an actress and a dancer. So my degree is in dance. I went to the University of Florida for my BFA and I'm a choreographer, which I'm still a practicing choreographer. And it just felt I felt like maybe I wasn't entitled or allowed to also be a painter. So Mm. Bird Girl Arts felt like this group title that I could say and pull in all my artistic practices and, and almost hide under that name, even though it wasn't like anonymous. I, I felt like it was a little bit of a different persona that I could create and explore in um, other than just Sasha French or Sasha Jimenez. Mm. So that gave me freedom kind of creating this place um, that just felt different for me. And my daughters, my daughters are are birdie and chicky. So bird girl arts comes from their nicknames. Okay. That's cool. So did you always want to be an artist? Like you call yourself a multidisciplinarian because you you said you're a concert penis, you're a choreographer, a movement artist. Um, Did you always want to be in the arts? Uh, desperately. I didn't always think that would pay my bills. <laughs> I, <laughs> well, that's the cool part. 
Yeah, I since I was a child, I was in plays and um, my grandmother had a doctorate in piano or music. And so I was informally at the piano with her since I was like 15 months old. And then since I was three, I had formal lessons out of the house with a different teacher and had a lesson with her every single day of my life since I was three years old. So I was just brought up in a very art centric family. Um, I have family who are painters and photographers and musicians, and it was just a way of life, not, not a way of like money-making, but a way of life. So I've, I just grew up that way. Um, so I, yeah, I just couldn't imagine anything else. I think. Did you imagine yourself as a child doing this as a career? Oh, definitely not. <laughs> no, no. No, I thought I'd be a nurse. Um, oh, really? Go to, go to nursing school. And I attempted that route at university and I was doing a nursing major with a dance minor and I very, <laughs> interesting. very quickly realized I was focusing on the wrong place. Um, and the university of Florida has a absolutely phenomenal dance department. So I was very lucky to be there. Hmm. And what point did you decide that you were going to shift to um, actually seriously considering being an artist or in the art industry as a, as a way of life, as a way to make a living? Oh, that, that right then and there in at university, probably in my second year of school. Oh, really? I switched degrees. Uh, I don't think my parents thought that was going to be a way of my living, but I, I decided that was going to be for me, that was going to be my life. Um, mm-hmm. But I think most artists, uh, especially young artists in the beginning of their careers, they know that it's your way of life, but you still work like three other jobs to make that Mm -hmm. your way of life. And then people see like what pays your bills as the most important thing you do. Um, And I never saw that. Like I paid my bills so I could keep making my dance work, even though it wasn't the thing I got to spend the most time on during Mm -hmm. the week. Uh, And that, that resilience paid off because now I don't work those other jobs and I only work arts jobs. So Mm -hmm. very lucky. Mm -hmm. When you were starting out on this path, you know, a lot of parents, I think, get a little antsy when their kids say they're going <laughs> to the art industry. Did anyone dissuade you? Obviously, you grew up in a very artistic family. But people go, I don't know, Sasha. I don't know if you'll be able to make money at that. Or friends. I think, or <laughs> I think that feeling, the general feeling was there. I think it was more of a worry. I'm very lucky to have amazing mm. parents. So they never discouraged me. I wouldn't say my parents have ever discouraged me to do anything in life. Um They've always been very supportive, even if they had concerns <laughs> or worried about where I was going. Um, but they've always been really wonderful. And I think it's been interesting for them to see my career change and develop and to be like, oh, oh, yeah. And and they have points where they like they think I'm more of an artist when I'm doing certain things. But they're, <laughs> they're just really wonderful. So I wouldn't say they've motivated me. Mm. So you now you find yourself in Fredericton, New Brunswick. You, you're a military family, so you always say you're moving around every every few years. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a studio in Fredericton. I do. Is it open to the public or uh, yeah. to to purchase art? Yeah, it is. Um, I have very irregular hours as an artist, so it's best to like contact me if you want to come by, and then I'll make sure that I'm there. But you can always try. Usually there in the mornings and sometimes in the afternoon, but. And where is that studio? Oh, right. Uh, Downtown on Queen Street. So across from City Hall and above Radical Edge. We're right in the heart of downtown. It's very Mm. a lovely spot with some other artists there. Great building. And you create there and sell them there. And yeah, it's 
it's a beautiful community to be in because there's other artists to, um, like you said, you love to talk to artists. Artists love to talk to other artists. <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of what we need. We need that artistic community to fuel us, to keep us thinking about new things, to challenge us. Um, mm. So it's really great to be there to talk to other artists for that reason. Mm. I'm curious, what does uh, being an artist do for you? Like you were in school, so you did the the practical nursing thing and you're also doing the dancing and one called to you more than the other. Mm. What about that is important to you Like to be in that space? Oh, that is a really tricky thing to put into words. It's, it's more of a feeling and a release for me. Mm. So when you go into a dance class and into a dance space, you're often asked to just leave everything at the door, leave everything, clear your mind. So it's a very meditative state. Um, and the physical endurance of that will definitely fuel that. Like, you know, if you're a runner, um, some people who are, heavy runners, they're like really stressed. Like, okay, I need to go for a run and you're going to run and maybe you're going to be, have really clear thinking, or you're just going to stop thinking because there's, when your body is producing it, performing at such a high level, sometimes there's just no space to be thinking about anything and you can forget and you can clear your mind. Um, so dancing and creating any of those artistic practices, I find really allow me to have clarity and, and just to kind of start new in whatever my thinking and thought process is about whatever's going on in my life. So mm. it's, it's very refreshing. It's like going to yoga. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny what you, it's funny that you say that. Cause I'm thinking of yoga as you say that, cause you, you call it a release. And I was going to ask you, what is the, you know, what is that? But I get that, that I know when I do yoga, you're holding these poses. You actually can't think about anything else. Cause you're, you're like, okay, I'm balancing, I'm pushing in, you know, I'm, and I, I realized that's the value of that, that you said it's a very meditative state. And I think that's part of the reason why meditation is so popular. Uh, people want to get that release. They want to get away from all their thoughts, although people find it very difficult to meditate. But I think that's the beautiful thing about uh, these artistic um, spaces like dancing or doing yoga. It, it does it for you. <laughs> it mm -hmm. brings you into that state. That So I get that release so that you can get the clarity. Yeah. And personally, it feels very selfish because my art practice is so satisfying for me. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's, it's like selfish. It's sel it feels selfish because I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to go in here to work, but I'm really just like zoning out and not thinking about anything and painting and or creating a new movement work. Like it, it just so it's so delightful and it feels so, you know, like like you said, going and taking a yoga class. Like it just feels for me that it's so delightful for me. It feels unfair that it's my work. <laughs> I think you are like so fortunate that it's your work because I think that's what so many people try to get to is, you know, do what you love and love what you do, that they would love to know that going to work is a release versus taking on some burdens, right? Yeah. So if so, hence we actually have to create space um, by going to yoga or exercise. You know, sometimes I can kind of feel energy building up and I say, I just want to run. I'll say to my husband, mm -hmm. I just want to put my shoes like literally to run down uh, the street just because it feels like there's something that needs to get out. So I understand that release piece of it. It's yeah. a little bit of like returning to a childlike mentality. And even if mm -hmm. your job is not a creative job, that's okay. You just need to make space for 
for movement and creation as a daily habit, even if it's Mm -hmm. snapping on your shoes, lacing them up and running twice around the block. It doesn't need to be like, I need to schedule in an hour run today and I just don't have time for that. So it's not going to happen. Yes. I love that creation as a daily habit. Mm-hmm. That's, a a, that's a great statement. There's a great book by Twyla Tharp um, and it's called The Daily Creative Habit. So I can't really <laughs> take credit for that. Just that it's a book from university that I still uh, access 15 years later. And I recommend it highly to anyone. You don't have mm-hmm. to be in the arts field, but Twyla Tharp, The Daily Creative Habit is an amazing book. Oh, that's a great way. And it's so funny because I ha- I must have seen it on your Instagram story because I have a snapshot of yeah. it in my, in my photo roll. And I was thinking, where did I get that from? And um, <laughs> I use it every you. time. I use it all the time. <laughs> well, I think people are always looking for good back- book recommendations. I know I certainly am. And so that that's going on my list because especially anything creative, I think it's almost like a life coaching book in a way uh-huh. to help us get back in touch with ourselves. Like you said, you're, it's the return to the child. Yeah. I'm curious, what do you like to create? What is what is your art about? Uh, most things. Or many things. Yeah, most things that have life. So I do a lot of landscape work. Um, and I also do portraiture. Um, but not, uh, they're like realistic portraits, but they're not hyper realism. You know, they're a little, they're a little expressionist, abstract. Uh, so I like anything that has movement. The main thing I'm going for in any work that I'm painting is drawing the comparison between dance and painting. Mm. Um, It's really interesting to me that dance is not considered a visual art because dance, the only way you can experience it is visually. Like you just, it's ephemeral, you see it and then it's gone if you go to a performance. Um, So it's so funny to me that that's, it is not considered a visual art because that's how we, you know, interpret it. We just, we see it and then it goes away and it's gone and you can't see it again. You can't hang that dance on your wall. Mm. Um, and I love that you talked about it when we were chatting about how art, uh, how you, you just said that you link your dance to the art and that with dancing, you creating lines, it's like image composition and you do the same thing in art. Is that right? Like you're creating mm-hmm. lines or some sort of movement. Yeah, it really is just about composition. So if I'm creating a movement work, I'm thinking about how the space is filled, how many dancers, is the dancer in the back, are they in the front, What? how are they in relation to each other? So it's the same if I'm painting a forest of trees, how many trees, are the trees in the back, are they in the front, what's their relationship to each other? There's no difference there for me. Mm. Um, and then even I take it a step further because... I, as a dancer, if anyone is a dancer, will relate to this. When you're in the grocery store waiting in line, you're like practicing berets with your feet or filling your car or, you know, if you're putting away your groceries, there's probably like some twirling involved between the counter <laughs> and refrigerator. It's it's always a show around here. Um, but that does <laughs> translate. It does translate into my painting work um, because it's, then when I'm using my paintbrush, I'm really focused on how long can I make this one line continuous by moving my hand a little bit more and reaching farther and farther and farther and then twisting the wrist. So even in my application, I'm it's almost a dance between me and the canvas. It's not very mm-hmm. performative and it's not always, but there's a lot of time where I go into that space where I'm 
it's, it's very gestural and I'm working with the brush and the canvas and me almost like a trio of dancers. Mm. I'm curious, what does the creation process teach you about life? Hmm. That's, that's you hitting me hard at those deep questions. 9am on a Friday morning. (laughs) Um, It's really helpful. I think in teaching my daughters that, mistakes and unplanned things can still turn out beautifully. Oh, I love that. My oldest daughter is quite the perfectionist. And when she is making with me, oh my gosh, if something, the stray line gets on her paper or she wanted to do something and it gets a little too wet, she is just devastated. Um, And, and she would have to throw the whole thing out. But we've been, we've been making strides in, in her understanding that, okay, it didn't go the way you want, but what else can we make it into? Mm. Um, so that's, that's the biggest thing I found that has been really a great teaching moment for my daughters because they're both very different. Um, my little one is very free, but my older one, she just has a lot of ideas of how it should go. And I think it's the best way I can teach her that it's not going to go the way you plan and mm. we can still turn it into something really beautiful. It's making me think about Bob Ross <laughs> as a kid when I used to watch him on TV and he would be, and he was, you know, his voice was so meditative and he'd be like, and we just made a mistake. So we're going to turn that into a seagull and he'd be tapping the, the canvas. And I think that is such um, a great point that you make of it, that mistakes are okay. I mean, how many of us have been taught to color inside the lines and what a metaphor for life, like don't mm-hmm. make mistakes, don't move you know, stiff, rigid. And I hear you talk a lot about fast and loose and free. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, 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 I love, I love that philosophy. One, uh, you know, I looked at some of your Instagram posts and we were chatting about, you know, what I really feel like are like philosophies in life. <laughs> and one of your posts that actually made me prompt me to reach out to you um, is that you say, chase your dreams down, be a little wild, crazy and free and be nosy, always be nosy. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, okay, she's okay with me being nosy. I'm going to see if she'll let me be nosy on a podcast. Oh, of course. And, and I say, I you know, what do you know about chasing your dreams down? Like obviously an artist and figuring out how to make money at it so that you can do it. And and like you say, you feel selfish and unfair because you get to absolutely adore what you do. And so many people have dreams inside of them. So how did you chase your dreams down or what that looked like? Well, I grew up on an island. So in a very different life (laughs) than where I live right now, a very warm life. Um, very warm life. <laughs> also very small town because there was no like college or university really there. There's like a community college, but, um, you know, fishermen, it's, it's families and it's fishermen and it's tourists. That's kind of the three categories you have where I live. There's definitely more people than that, but that's, that's what I grew up seeing as a child. Um, and so I really longed for, exploring a wider world than that. I wanted to see huge groups of professionals and huge groups of artists and huge groups of musicians and athletes. I wanted to see those places. So when I left for university, it was just like eye-opening for me. And I always knew I wanted to live. I thought I'd move abroad and live in Europe. Uh, I did leave the States and here I am in Canada, not quite Europe, but um, we do move all the time and it really fulfills the passion of curiosity that I have for life. Um, It's very hard to leave because 
the communities that we've created, like been able to be in, in each place we've lived have been so wonderful to us. So it's always really difficult and heartbreaking to leave, but I wouldn't have had the luxury of that community had I not moved here for this brief bit of time. Mm. So that's, that's what I always remember is that like, I would never have known New Brunswick. I would have never have gotten to explore Odell Park. I would have never met the wonderful people that inhabit Fredericton, um, you know, never gone to PEI, never gone down to St. John and seen all the cool street art. And I just would never have had that. And is when you weigh those two things, like leaving or not having it, obviously not having it is the bigger loss. So mm. I'm grateful for these little explorations that we have of being nosy in new towns. Mm. Who did you have to become to chase your dreams? Did Once you start, started on that path, you said there was some worry, but was there just a confidence within you that you'd be able to live the life of your dreams? Yeah, I think it's a something you have to remember to teach yourself about every day because there are days where it's harder um, and you want to give in to maybe like sadness or feeling, you know, feeling like, oh, I wish I could do this or I wish I could do that. But if you just keep reminding yourself and telling yourself like, this, it's a choice. I really do feel like you have a choice to be happy. Mm. Um, so, and of course, I allow myself sad days. I don't mean that I'm, you know, always forcing the smile. I allow myself to have those sad days when I need them. But then I decide that, you know, between the two, I really do prefer to be happy. So I'm going to choose happiness today, even if it's not the best day, like where can I find these small moments of happiness? And that's, that's kind of my path of daily that I try to pursue. Mm. You said it's important to be wild, crazy and free. How does that show up in your life? Mm. I'm imagining you've already depicted that a little bit, like you twirl as you bounce over to the fridge. (laughs) (laughs) How else does that show up? How does it show up in your artwork? Oh my gosh. I saw a video on Instagram the other day about this guy saying, I met this girl 10 years ago at work and life has never been the same. And she was rolling around on the kitchen floor. I I had a good chuckle because I could really identify with that. Um, I, I think the wild and crazy and free is that we just... They live pretty, pretty flexibly. Um, you know, it's, you have to have some kind of schedule when you have little kids, but yeah, um, they're great. They have grown up in the studio with me. I taught through both of my pregnancies till I was like eight and a half months pregnant with my first daughter and three days before my second daughter was born. And I mean like a full teaching dance schedule. Um, so that was pretty comical to see me in the studio like that and then I went right back to work when they were both two or three months old and they would go to rehearsals with me if I had a show I've been on stage with my baby breastfeeding her under the lights while they do tech rehearsals because that was the only option I had um and you know it's it's a choice of like the wild and craziness like that is wild and crazy to just strap on your baby and say all right let's go it's not so easy, um, but I was unwilling. Well, first of all, we don't have family usually where we live, so it's not so easy to just be like, I'm going to drop the baby off at mom's and go to my performance. Um, so if I didn't have that option, uh, I wasn't also willing to give up that other side of me. And I knew it would be hard and crazy, but it's been really rewarding. And I think it's been rewarding for my daughters to see that, to see like, mm. 
I value them. I value their time with me. I want them to see me working hard. I want them to see me like chasing after every opportunity. Yes. Um, I don't have the luxury of like just building up a career and like being like, oh yeah, such and such, this person, we know her, we can like reach out to her for this opportunity because I've, we've worked with her for 10 years, you know, like we're only in a place every, a few years, two years, three years, maybe four right. years if we're lucky. So I usually have to hit the ground pretty hard running to chase after those opportunities. Um, and I want them to have that same like drive and passion to go after what they want in life. So I think it's been great that they, they've grown up with me doing that. Mm, yeah. Seeing mom chasing her dreams. I mean, a great role model for sure that, yeah, dreams don't stay on hold. Um, you said you all, you know, you, um, being mo- nosy, be nosy, always be nosy. Mm. What does that mean to you? Curiosity? Curiosity. Yeah. It's, it's all, it's a really great way to, to get in places and to know places. Like the more, you know, the better, if you want to go somewhere and find out somewhere and talk to somebody who works there, like, do a little research before you go in. Find out what is this place about? Is this a place that I want to like spend some time in? Who works here? What are their mandates? Um, and it's a great way to get to know people for me, like starting over again with people all the time. I'm, I I have to get to know them quickly and you want to know the things in their background. I'm actually doing a portrait project right now that'll be completed before we move because I'll have, have an exhibit of it. And I spend about an hour with people um, doing a full just speaking interview and taking some photos. So kind of like this, being nosy, asking them all about their lives. I have some really specific questions that I ask that are um, important to the project. But for the most part, I just want to hear them talk about themselves for an hour. Mm. Um, which is so nice and freeing because sometimes we feel like, oh, I can't, I can't just talk about myself. Like I need to like reciprocate and ask about you or this or that. But when someone just gives you permission to say, Tell me all about you. Tell me everything. I'm here to listen. I want to listen mm. to you and your words are important. That is really, really freeing for the other person. And it kind of can unlock something. So I'm sure you can identify with that because you do that same thing. <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely identify that. I think a lot of people uh, can identify, but you know, I often hear people say, oh, don't be nosy. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's not nosy for the sake of wanting to know your own knowledge, but no. what you're pointing to, you said, where else do, when someone say, I want to know about you, um, where else do we get to talk about ourselves when someone does that? Like that happens in leadership. That's how you connect to people. When you know people better, you can lead them better. You can connect with them better. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's such a, a such an important way to to see people, yeah. right? You, you say like you're saying, let me let, let me listen to you for an hour, and you're really saying, let me see you. Let me know what makes you tick, right? I mean, how often do people get to do that? <laughs> Not very often. And it's been, it's been for me, like that same selfish feeling, which maybe you feel, but like, I'm like, I'm going to block everything off of my schedule. Nothing else matters in this moment. And I'm going to sit down with you and mm. like, just reveal yourself. I'm so excited. I'm excited to see these things about you that I've never known. And I've done them with people I've known. I've also asked strangers Um, So I've gotten to sit down with complete strangers who I have no context of and know zero about their life and then just get this like deluge of an hour of their life. And it's been, oh, it's like, it's like sitting down with the best memoirs. (laughs) Oh, isn't it? You know, there's a book, uh, Brian Grazer, he's a filmmaker, um, Ron Howard's partner. They made a lot of, you know, 
great movies. And he wrote a book, and I think it was called The Curious Mind or Curiosity. Mm -hmm. And that's what he talked about. He spent his entire career and wasn't even part of his career. So I really see it as a form of art, just sitting down and talking with all sorts of people. And that's where all the ideas for the big movies came from. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that that's the power of being nosy. Because what they're really doing, like, I feel like even myself, if I look out to the world and I listen to, you know, certain conversations or I see certain uh, art or anything, that it's actually inspiring. It gives you ideas about how you can apply it in your life for business. Mm-hmm. Um that's to me, I'm always looking for the connection or the spark, right? Yeah. And uh, when people certainly reveal themselves, I mean, that's pretty powerful. And it is. And I feel privileged. Yeah, you do. That people will do that. And it does relate back to business um, because Absolutely. that's the trust and the value that you have when somebody knows you. And they do need somebody to recommend or they do see, need somebody to do a certain job or whatever. If you know someone, you say, I know this person, they will be good. Yes, that's you can do it. Recommend confidently, right? Yeah, that that trust and that value is like one of the highest things that you can achieve in your relationships. Absolutely. You said, although that you are a military family, you know, you believe in setting roots down quickly wherever you get go. You say life doesn't wait. So uh, neither do we, you know, a great philosophy to live by. Mm -hmm. How how does that show up for you? How do you you know, when you, you show up in a new town and you have to set down roots quickly, mm. what does that look like? Well, I'm a little bit of a hoarder. <laughs> I have <laughs> a lot of books. I have a lot of paintings. Um, I must be a difficult move. <laughs> yeah. Um, but is a benefit of the military. They do move you. So even though we move a lot, somebody else like physically moves us. Um, so that's a benefit. But uh, whenever I go somewhere, I am pretty quick to just slap my stuff all over that house. Um, as much as I'm a social person and I love being out, I also really value having this like cozy nest um, and having like a sanctuary to retreat after I've been out in the world being very loud and vocal and engaging with people. And then I need like the opposite. I need to come home and power down and feel comfortable. So the first thing that we do when we move in is I'm like hanging all our art and putting all the things out that are important to us um, that we've collected over the years, just so that immediately, even though it's a completely different home, we all feel like this is home because that's all of our stuff from the last home. The girls always ask like, can we bring this? Can we bring the dog? I'm like, oh, we're definitely bringing the dog. It's fine. And they're like asking about specific stuffed animals. Like, can we bring this stuffy? I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, sure. Anything you want. Um, But those, that just like is the first thing that's personally for me to make me feel good. Um, Because I have to take care of myself and my family and make us all feel comfortable and relaxed so that we can go do the harder work of um, getting involved and getting into the community. Uh, And I really value movement it doesn't really matter to me if it's dance or soccer or running or something. So I'm always like making sure that we find something physical to do because that's a great way to get plugged in with the community. Um, going after like like-minded people or like the late library is another favorite place of ours. So I have my top places that I like to get plugged in immediately. I'm like, we go get new library cards and then you meet people at the library. COVID obviously has been a little different for that. Mm-hmm. 
Um, mm-hmm. But I think it's really important to get plugged in with your community, whether it's church or the library or athletic groups or arts groups, like finding those little nooks um, are really valuable for establishing yourself with like-minded people. Very quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, because I love the idea. You said we don't have the luxury of waiting, right? Life life yeah. doesn't wait for you. Um, and so you have to start over every few years. So what have you learned about starting over? You've pointed to some of the, you do some things to help you get plugged into the community quickly. Like, or what has it taught you about starting over? Because that's a metaphor for life. Lots of people could be listening where they have to restart. Maybe they just left a marriage or, mm-hmm. um, you know, ha- have to start a new job. What have you learned about starting over? Oh, that you can do it as many times as you want. <laughs> it's perfectly okay. <laughs> I love it. Um, it. It feels scary to start over, and that kind of circles back to when you were asking me about Bird Girl, um, when mm-hmm. I felt really nervous to start calling myself a painter. Um, I felt more nervous about that than, like, moving and starting other places. So in those senses, I would say, like, just go for it, you know, just – you can't do it too many times. You can do whatever you want. You'll only regret like the things you don't do, you know, or the things you do and then you learn from them. That, that's okay too. If it wasn't, it didn't happen, it didn't pan out exactly like you thought, just start again. No worries. Yeah. You almost sound like Bob Ross right now. <laughs> no worries. We'll start over. Yeah. <laughs> it is in, in an artist's way. Like, I think you're big, pointing to like lighten up on ourselves. Be not so rigid. Um, and don't beat yourself up about having to start over. Just be fluid with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. I love it. It feels like we're in a dance as we talk <laughs> about this. Good. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Um, you said you get a lot of contracts, you know, thankfully you, you get, you were able to make a living as an artist. And you said, people often ask you, like, how do you get so many, uh, contracts? But you say you also get a lot of rejections Oh yeah. Uh, and you actually keep track of your rejections. Yeah. What's that about? <laughs> oh my gosh. My husband drives him crazy. Cause I'm like, I'm going to apply for this and I'm apply for that. And he's like, slow down, but I'm not interested in slowing down. Um, and yeah, there's just so many amazing, talented artists out there. So even in your own community, if you apply for something and you don't get something, oh, it's like a stab to the heart and it feels so personal and so painful. But really, it's usually because there's so many equally wonderful applicants. Um, so you have to kind of get into a mindset about that of, there's a lot of people going for a lot of things. So I'm only going to get a small fraction of the things that I apply for. So if I'm only going to get a small fraction of the things I apply for. If I want more things, I need to apply for way more things. It's just like mathematical in that yeah. sense. <laughs> it's um, true. And it's very hard to do those applications. Uh, they're not usually easy. They usually require quite a bit of paperwork and research and your CV is always changing and depending on what you're applying for, your application shifts a little bit because you want to, maybe it's like more installation focus. I want to focus on my installation background or if it's more dance focus, I need to really present my dance side. Um, so it's never just like copy paste from the last application. It doesn't work like that. 
Right. But you're um, pointing to how it's worked, like applying for a job, uh, applying for a contract, a, a grant, anything mm-hmm. is about, you know, adjusting things. And it takes, it takes works. But, but I think when people look at those who are successful or who, who are getting things, they don't see what is behind that, which is all the rejections you got or, yeah. uh, so, you know, and you keep track of your rejections. Why do you do that? Oh, cause it's so nice to look back over the year and say like, I went after these three pages of opportunities and I got, you know, seven of them or what, whatever the, you know, the math ends up being for you. Mm-hmm. But if you didn't go after those three pages, you would have had zero maybe. Right. You know, like seven opportunities might be seven big opportunities that fills your year. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, you know, they're not always like a short little contract. It can be a longer thing. You're not sure everything has its own value. So I love. So is it a way to, um, is it a way to lift yourself up? You don't get overwhelmed by the fact that you had three pages of rejections. You look at, oh my gosh, I won seven. Yeah. And also a record of the work that I did for the year, mm-hmm. because sometimes you feel like, did I do enough? Did I, did I spend enough time with my kids today? Did I spend enough time in the studio today? Did I spend enough time cleaning my house? Did I do enough? Um, and that is a record for me to look back and said, I was enough. I did enough mm-hmm. that year. Um, and I had wonderful things that came out of it. And actually out of rejections, good things come out of it. Um, Sometimes you don't get something and you apply for it again. And the next time, like, we remember your application from last time and we really liked it. We're so happy you applied again. You know, like if you only have five people to pick and you were in the top six and you didn't get picked, the next time your application comes through, now they're getting to see your stuff a second time. So they're getting a more in-depth view um, and I've learned something from every rejection that I've ever gotten. Like I always learn how to do it better the next time. Like, Oh, okay. I attached that that way and they missed it. I should never attach it like that again. Or, um, the feedback that I got from the jury was they didn't see enough of this in my application. So I'm going to make sure that the next application has that. Mm. And if you- you're constantly evaluating yourself and, and, and you, it sounds like you just keep getting back up. You keep getting back up and trying and trying and trying. Right? Yeah. And that's how you get versus trying to get it perfect and then put just one thing out and getting down that you got rejected. You put a ton of things out and you learn a lot by doing a lot. Yeah. And we're in an age where artists have a lot of power, like more power than they've ever had for connecting with their communities. Mm. Um. I mean, it very much depends on your personality. Like some artists definitely still rely heavily on gallery representation because they're not interested in anything beyond being an artist. Um, but as an artist, you really have to be a small business person as well. And that is a lot of work. It's a whole other job to run the Absolutely. small business of your art and then to also be the artist full time. So it's, it's very tricky, but it's also very wonderful. Um, but we have the power of Instagram and mm. social media and the reach now to say, let me share my work with you. Um, let me share my daily practice with you. Let me share what I have and what I can do for you and how we can connect. Like, but that's all wonderful. Um, so it's just a very different time right now for art. And yeah, it's interesting to see where it's going. Hmm. What what is art to you? Mm, that I mean, art can be anything. 
<laughs> I have a very obviously wide range of what I think art should fall under for description. I think that's whatever you prefer it to be. It can be the art your kid made. It can be something you made. It's all equally valuable. Um, and it shouldn't be for any one particular person. Like we shouldn't have these tiers of art where it's like this kind of art is only accessible if you have all of the expendable income. Mm, it's um, not for the elite. Yeah, it should be for everyone. Mm. It should be for everyone. There should be no barriers in art. Um, so I feel quite strongly about that. And that helps balance out my feeling so selfish about my job that it's so, I feel so luxurious that it's so wonderful that I get to do this job. Um, I strive really hard to make art in all at all levels accessible to all levels I you know pay for it how you want to pay for it pay for it over time that doesn't change the price of it right pay what you want what art I have art that I give away for free I have bigger art that's more expensive but the same like you can pay it off in however long you want it doesn't matter to me like you want to have the art you should have it I want to make the art I should be able to make it <laughs> And you have a project that you have done while you've lived in Fredericton in Odell Park called Lost and Found Art, yeah. which is your artist project. Can you tell us what that is and why you began this? Oh, I started it during a Harvest and Jazz Festival like three years ago. Um, and I produce a lot, a lot of art. Not all of it is the best or it's part of studies that I'm making to try out something new or to explore because as artists, and this goes back to daily creative practice. You just have to create. But that means I wind up with a lot of stuff. <laughs> and to, to curb the hoarding, I have, I have to actively get rid of it. Um, and I think the best way for me to combat waste and to do it in a fun way, I decided was like, oh, I have this art, which is fun. And it's small. I could just hide it like a game for people and people could find it. And if they like it, they can take it. And if they don't like it, they can give it to someone else. It's not a big deal. Um, but hopefully then it doesn't get thrown away and it doesn't just become more waste. Um, and then I've maybe brightened someone's day. So I started- And you've hidden it in Odell Park? Oh, yeah. Well, I also do it downtown since my studio is downtown. Um, it's just convenient for me. But Odell is the other place I do it because we go there frequently for like walks. And that's a really fun adventure too. So I usually hide just like little pieces around here and there. And yeah, people email me, say they found it. They send me pictures. It's, it's really sweet. Do you do like a treasure hunt? Like, uh, I don't know if you put it, tweet it out or communicate it somehow that the art's hidden and go find it. Yeah, I do. And then I usually go back and check <laughs> so that it's not like, <laughs> I've never actually found it after a day or two. Um, but, you know, just to make sure, especially in Odell Park, that it's not like, being left behind is like a trash item or something. Um, <laughs> right. But I usually place them and then I post a photo so that people know, or I'll place them and like give notice that I'm going to go do it. If I'm going to go in the afternoon, I'll say like, Oh, it's a good day to hide some art. So that way, if someone's like, Oh, I could go on my lunch break and take a walk. They can kind of have a little pre-planning for their day or that they can stop by after work. And then I post a photo of where it is. So it's not a lot of context th to it. It's it's quite hard. It's like the chance of the game. Yes. Well, I think it's pretty, uh, you know, it's kind of a fun idea. And you never know what little treasure trove someone's going to come across in Odell Park or downtown in, in Fredericton. Yeah. Um, 
what is your greatest hope as an artist when you're creating a piece? Are do you have a hope for it on that the person receives something on the other end, or do you just allow the um, the other person to get what they need from the piece of art they purchase? Yeah, for me, I guess it's, it's a transfer of joy. Like I get so much joy in the creation of the piece, and then I also have joy thinking about someone else enjoying it. Um, so I know that I receive a lot of joy from the art that I have in my home from other artists. Like, Mm. um, even if it's not like something you look at and say like, Oh, that's such a joyful piece. Um, maybe it's darker or moody or whatever. It's, it still brings me something. It might bring me comfort. Um, it might bring me energy. Like it might make me really happy or it might make me feel calm. Any of those things that I feel, I just think like that artist that artist must have so much joy to know that like they have brought me this consistent thing, mm-hmm. uh, this consistent feeling. And it's interesting how people feel about art. Like people will easily go out and drop a couple hundred dollars on dinner and not think about it. And then money, you know, it's a dinner and it's time right. and it's gone. But then, you know, like even a painting, like a little painting for a couple hundred bucks are like, Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> It's true. But, but I'm like, blow it someplace else. I'm like, that painting will be on your wall forever. And you will, it will bring you re- like what, if you were, whatever you were feeling right now about that connection to this painting, it doesn't go away from day one. When you purchase it, it actually grows. You become, it's like what I said about when we move, the first thing I do is put up my art because I am so attached to it. Um, I, I need it immediately. I want it. Mm-hmm. I want to see it. I want those those places make me feel good. They make me feel comforted. They make me feel calm. They make me feel at home. Um, so I highly recommend, like, if you feel that feeling about a piece of art, it's just like, I want to tell you, it doesn't go away. It just gets better. Um, mm. And I, Every time you walk past it, you have that feeling. Yeah. You see it in your house, right? You do. Yeah. Um, and that's another reason why, like, I love to offer people to pay for like a big painting, however they want, like oh, you can give me a hundred bucks now and you can give me a hundred dollars later and chip away at it. It's no big deal. Right. You can, yeah. you know, because then you don't have any guilt behind it. If you've ever made like a large purchase that feels unnecessary, even though right. I don't, I personally don't think art is unnecessary, but some people might say like, Oh, I need to, you know, think about responsibilities and I need to, <laughs> All right. people should actually, we should all pay our bills and we should all feed our kids and all those things. So if you make this large purchase and then you feel all that guilt about like, oh, I shouldn't have spent that much this month. Oh, I don't want that feeling for you. So no. that's another reason why it gives me joy to offer the work however you want it, because I want you to say like, oh, I, I saved, I chipped away at that. I paid for it responsibly. I feel so good about how I bought that. Um, I have no, there's no bad feelings here. Like I want someone to only be entirely happy. So that, that transfer of joy is really what encompasses it for me. Cause I know that you're going to have those feelings. You're going to feel good. That art is going to give you what you need for a long time. Yeah. I love it. And you say you, you feel it's important to expose children to art that, you know, especially art that's put up in galleries. People often have the idea that children can't be trusted around art. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to that? Important yeah. to that. Um, sometimes I find even in a gallery, like the adults are less cautious than the children sometimes. <laughs> um, or we, you know, we just like don't 
give the children opportunities maybe to be cautious. So then they don't know how to be cautious if we haven't taught them how to be. You know, that's like our responsibility as a community. Like I take my children places so that they can learn from people other than me. Because if they just learn from me, that's going to be a very limited worldview. So like I want to take them to places so they can learn from a gallerist or they can learn from the restaurant server or wherever we are. Like I think that they can, they can learn something in that situation. Um, And I, I love to paint on, I paint very texture, like very heavily. So there's a lot of um, texture in my work and I like invite children to come over and like say, Oh, you can touch this painting. Like, are you curious about this? Cause I'm, if I saw this, I would be very curious about how this feels. You should Mm -hmm. come over and like touch it so you can know what that looks like and what it feels like. Um, And as soon as you give permission, you know, I've never had a child like come over and throw my painting they're, they're immediately very reverent about it and cautious, um, even though they've been given permission. So it's, it's really interesting to see that. And I think a lot of people are afraid of the art world or afraid to like, they say, I like this, but I, I don't know what to say about it because I don't have the right words to talk about it. I'm like, oh, you can say whatever mm-hmm. you want. Um, and if we introduced children and like made art accessible to them from such a young age, we would all grow up feeling very confident about art Mm -hmm. and value it Mm -hmm. want it yeah you know want it okay to buy it want to value our artists um be able to value public art oh it's like always a thing anytime public art goes up there's always a big there's always some kind of outcry (laughs) and public art isn't like just people being able to display it wherever they want or Or just anything you know like if there's a bunch of money that's spent on a public art thing then people are going to say like oh we shouldn't we should be fixing the roads we shouldn't be doing that and it's like yeah okay well there's a road budget and then there's like an arts and culture budget and we need to value both and we need we need to value art and we need to value culture and if we're if we're all raised with that mentality we'd be able to understand it more as adults I think Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I love the idea of exposing children to art and allowing them to explore it themselves. And I think it just helps them get in touch with, you know, with like you talk about, it's okay to make mistakes. You know, Mm -hmm. I think you can learn so much from it and just being able to, to value it. So when they grow up, they might actually want to invest in some or purchase some. And I think exposing children to art also means like exposing them to living artists, not only taking them to museums right. and galleries and saying, these are people who lived a really long time ago. Right. Because that's so, that's so out of touch. I mean, that's also important. Like I'd love to, when the Beaver Brook was open, they're closed now, but when they were open, I took my daughters every Friday and that was our Friday mornings. Um, so there's value there. I definitely don't want to say that that's not valuable, but there also needs to be exposure to living artists and to what's happening currently in our world. Mm. And what do you think, um, knowing about living artists do for them? Oh, well, number one, it just says like, this is possible. You can do this. When we go see stuff that's so like this happened centuries ago and this artist is no longer living, they can't relate to that. They can't say this is something you can actually do. Um, My daughters have friends and like, I'm usually friends with their moms as well. And their moms always report back to me. They're like, my daughter cannot believe that you are an artist. (laughs) Like that's the common <laughs> report I get back. They're like, what? You can do that? You can be an artist? Mm. Um, you know? Well, inspiring. Yeah, because even if like, okay, you're alive, but like 
do you go and hang out and paint in your, in, you know, an artist like living room? Like my daughter's friends come over and they pull out paint all the time when, when that was a thing, when we had people in our house all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and it was just, it's just very common because we just have paint everywhere and we have supplies everywhere. So that's what they do when that's they come really over. Neat. Um, so I, and that would be so fun as a kid oh, you know, yeah. to go to somebody's house where someone allows you to paint and make a mess on the dining room table. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just explore. I mean, like, how cool is that? Yeah, that's so interesting. I love it. What does art do for your soul? Mm, it's very restoring and restful and also challenging. I think it's both of those things. Like, Why is it challenging? Um. Because it's, it's always asking the question, like, am I doing the right thing? Am I doing, am I doing this with the right motive? Um, mm. When we're exposed to our art and other people's art constantly, um, there, it's just always a challenge of saying, like, how is this affecting my world? How am I making the immediate world around me better by doing this? Am I doing it for the right reason? Am I doing it just for me? How how can this benefit someone else? Um, does it keep you conscious? It does. Because like, um, I'm not that? a doctor. I'm not someone administering vaccines right now. I'm not, you know, I'm not one of our essential workers who's keeping grocery stores stocked and keeping things sanitized. Like that work is so important and we need that. So what can I do? I can't do that or I don't do that. So like, how can I, how can I repay? How can I fulfill my, my debt to society? You know, like how this is, yes, the world needs beauty and we need rest for our eyes and rest for our souls. Like the ICU nurses who are working overtime and are probably going to come out of COVID with like PTSD because they've been through so much trauma, you know, they need beautiful things and they need, loving things and joyful things for healing. Mm. Um, so I think it just always, I'm always trying to fight that battle in my soul of like, it's restful and restorative for me. Um, but what is it for other people and what do they need and what can I provide? Mm. That's important. Do you, con- do you consider yourself a spiritual person? Oh yeah, definitely. Mm. How does it show up in your work? only I think in the fact that I'm just very grateful for what I've been given. Like I, Mm -hmm. I feel undeserving of everything that I have. And, um, um, I want to be very grateful for what I've been given because it feels, yeah, it feels, it feels like, we have so much and in this world and in this life. And Hey, I want to be able to pour that back out. Mm, Yeah. I get that. Where can people find you and connect with you if they're interested in checking out your artwork, want to buy a piece, visit your studio? How can they find you online? Oh, the best way is through Instagram. And even if you don't have Instagram, you can like go onto Instagram, the site and backslash bird girl arts um, or search me or you can email me. I do have a website, but it is getting a full rebuild. So it is currently down (laughs) because like I said, I have to be that small business person 
and be the artist person and oh, building a website is not my favorite. I don't think it's anyone who's an artist's <laughs> no. favorite thing. <laughs> Unless you're a website builder, everyone hates to build their website. Um, yes. So I'm currently yeah. in the process of rebuilding that. But yeah, Instagram is the best way. I am on Facebook and I do have email, which is Sasha J French at gmail.com. So I'm, I'm pretty reachable. I'm around town. Mm, I like it. Well, I've loved everything that we've talked about. I just have a last few sort of soul fire rapper questions. <laughs> um, what have you learned about the power of being you? Mm, it's very freeing. The more that you find out who you are. And I think that really comes year after year. Mm. Um, it's something to look forward to about aging, I would say. I'm not someone who like, I'm not afraid of wrinkles or the gray hairs that are coming. I think there are so many beautiful things that come with age. Um, and I think that we understand and unlock something in ourselves with each passing year. So um, I think that's powerful there, aging. <laughs> mm, freedom, I love it. Yeah. What has become abundantly clear to you? The people who are there to support you and your support that you give back to them. Like I think in COVID, that's probably been amplified for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, the people who are really valuable and really willing to stay by your side and the people whose side you need to stay by, even though we couldn't physically be together, how much, how much more that we need to try and connect I'm concerned about how we'll come out of this, which I have faith that we'll come out of this. But as coming out of COVID, it'll be really interesting to see. Um, I think it'll be hard for people to kind of rebuild connections. So mm. I encourage people to to think about that now um, and to, to make sure that you're like nurturing connection and nurturing yourself and preparing yourself for that. Because I, I think it will be tricky for people to go back to certain things. Yeah, I think you're right. Mm. And lastly, what does the world need most? Mm. just more kindness <laughs> more kindness and understanding because even though we're mm. we have a lot of conflict or we can be on different sides of issues um trying to approach discord with understanding and kindness for the other person and like having clarity about our thoughts that we're putting forward we can we can disagree um but still trying to approach that with kindness mm. i love it well, thank you, Sasha, for giving me your time and sharing your perspective. Uh, a lot of great life philosophies and takeaways. And I appreciate you um, spending this time with me. Thank you so much, Dana. It's been a lovely morning. That was such a great conversation. If you loved it too, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Please go to iTunes to rate and review this podcast. And if you want to continue the conversation, connect with Soul Sister Conversations on the Facebook and Instagram pages. You can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at Dana Lloyd Leadership, on Twitter at Coach Dana underscore Lloyd, and of course on LinkedIn. See you next week.